Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, January 13th. As you listeners can already tell, I am still sans our beloved super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who is taking a well-deserved vacation. That said, it is already quite clear the professional tennis world is off to a rocking start here in 2023. The biggest news of the day, not coming from anything on the court, but of course coming from a release off of it, Netflix officially releasing its newest docuseries, Breakpoint, a series which offers an in-depth look into the life of multiple ATP and WTA Tour players throughout the course of their 2022 seasons. Now, I'm not going to be offering my thoughts on that series here on this show, but of course, we're going to be breaking down every episode of the new docuseries series over on our Inside Out podcast feed. I am so excited, as I have alluded to earlier in the week, to be launching that show with my dear friend Gil Gross. He and I are going to offer an in-depth look, our in-depth thoughts on each and every episode of the series. We'll be releasing new episodes of the podcast every three days. So I know for many of you, the inclination will be to binge that Netflix series. You are more than welcome to do that. That said, we are going to be spacing out our podcast episodes going to try and let each of them breathe a little bit that said again if you're looking for thoughts on that new Netflix docuseries which is for sure the biggest news of the day here on Friday in the tennis world head on over to the inside out podcast feed you can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts you can watch video forms of each episode over on Gil's YouTube channel and of course you can find links to every episode over on the newly renovated Cracked Racket its website as well. Of course, the other big news in the professional tennis world is the fact that the first slam is less than a week away. The 2023 Australian Open getting set to begin. Of course, we will be previewing that event in depth over on our Great Shot podcast feed. And yes, those episodes will also be without super producer Daniel Westhoff, but I have plenty of fun things up my sleeve, not only to end this week, but throughout the course of the weekend as well as we get ready for the year's first major to begin. That said, here on this show, we got some tour-level events we got to wrap up before we start the year's first slam. Now, yesterday was a bit of an understandable bummer. Certainly, it sucks when, what, three-eighths, which I believe is 37.5% of the matches get canceled via injury withdrawals, and that was the case as Gasquet advanced via an injury in Auckland. You had both of the women's players in Adelaide, Bencic and Kasatkina, advancing after Kudermatova and Bedosa withdrew with injuries. And, you know, again, I say understandable bummer because certainly if there are any sort of ailments, any sort of sorenesses, I think that's the plural, certainly not soreness I, uh, any sort of soreness for any of these players be preventative. The slam is far more important with all due respect than the semifinals of Adelaide 2. And so hopefully each of these players will see healthy come the start of the 2023 Australian Open. But Certainly that put a damper on our day as there was no play in Adelaide over the past 24 hours on the women's side. That said, the men made up for it. Two three-set matches, both thrillers, Sun Wukwon, Roberto Bautista, Agu, and uh, reaching the final. Excuse me, want to talk about how each of them got there in Hobart. Yes, my prediction fell short. Sonia Kennan falling in three sets to Elisabetta Cochioretto. But I'll tell you this, I was, not dis- I was disappointed in the third set. 
I thought that was a really high-level match. I'm in on Coach Iretto. Not all in. I'm not saying top 10, 15, even top 20 player, but she's going to be a part of our lives over the course of the next decade. The 21-year-old Italian, she's got weapons, and I'll explain what I mean here on today's show. Of course, I also want to talk about a thriving Lauren Davis, who's into the finals with her pretty dominant straight set victory in the semis yesterday. Of course, only one semifinal in Auckland. Cam Norrie did his thing, was just the better version of Jensen Brooksby. And again, I'll elaborate on that talk about why I think Norrie is extraordinarily dangerous entering this 2023 Australian Open. And then I'll preview all the finals, get into the tennis abstract forecast, what the numbers say for these matches, offer my thoughts on the matchup. It's probably going to be a shorter edition of the show today, uh, just given the fact that, again, we only have five matches to discuss, and I'll try my best to not spend 30 minutes on each of those matches, but... Going to have an episode for you tomorrow, breaking down the finals. Then we'll go silent on this show until we start breaking down every day of the 2023 Australian Open. No days off. We'll have podcasts for you every day. There's a singles match. Obviously, very excited for that to begin. Again, we may not have a mini break podcast on Sunday, but we're going to have plenty of great shot podcasts preparing all of you listeners for that Australian Open. So, If you're bored this weekend, and it's early in January, I guess there's NFL playoffs going on here in the United States, but things slow down elsewhere as we all turn the calendar. Rest assured, we've got you covered. As we know, things are off to a rollicking start here in the pro tennis world in 2023. With all of that said, before we start breaking down any tennis, one last shout out to our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. I promise I'll leave things there if you promise to purchase all of your tennis equipment from Tennis Point. Go to tennis-point.com. Use the promo code CR15. With that said, let's start with the three setters in Adelaide. Uh, even as a neutral party, and I'm not going to defend my neutral status because, A, I don't think people accuse me of bias when it, as it relates to pro tennis. I certainly have players whose games I am fond of. There are certainly players who have been extraordinarily kind to me, extraordinarily kind to this show that I will root for even in the broader sense, not necessarily root for in specific matches. College tennis gets perhaps a little bit more cloudy. As people know, I attended the University of Michigan, and a lot of people are okay with that. Some are not. We'll get into that a different day. Anyways, it was heartbreaking to watch Tenassi Kokonakis fall in this three-set match to Roberto Bautista Agu for a couple of reasons. One, Kokonakis played fabulous tennis. This felt like this was a final. This was two guys playing at at least a top 50 level who brought it from the start. There was maybe a five-minute, 10-minute lull from Kokonakis, not even at the start of the third set. I guess maybe at that start of the third set where he gets off to, I think, a 15-40 lead, RBA ends up holding, Kokonakis ends up getting broken. There's like a five-minute stretch there where he kind of lost the thread, but I mean, again, five minutes max. Both of these guys, one or the other, throughout the duration of what was ultimately what you look overall at the numbers, their their match ends up going two and a half hours, two hours, 34 minutes. I would say two hours, 27 was exceptional tennis. And, you know, again, for RBA, who fought off 11 of the 12 break points that he faced, guy's just a physical monster 
at 34 years old. He's the mortal version of what's accomplishable in your mid-30s when you're not a Djokovic, a Nadal, a Federer, but what you know, I think a lot of guys are going to be capable of as their prime gets extended. I think RBA is still as good today as he was when he first started ascending, 2016, 2017. And certainly the numbers indicate as much. You look for RBA in 2022, he held 82.8% of the time. That was a top 25 number and 2.3% above his career average. He broke serve 27.7% of the time. That was a top 15 top 10 number top 10 to be exact and 1.1 percent above his career average he was one of nine guys to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage last year again the numbers say he's as good as he's ever been the eye test you watched him just physically able to track down so many of the thunderous first forehands that Kokonakis hits behind his first serve and it's not that Kokonakis didn't hit the second thunderous forehand because oftentimes he did Kokonakis won 85 percent of his first serve points Kokonakis faced one break point throughout the course of the match he was broken in uh, at the start of that third set Kokonakis went unbroken through the first two sets. That speaks to his level against a guy who's a top 10 returner on the ATP Tour. It was outstanding tennis. I don't know what else to tell you. Like, go watch the highlights. Because shout out to Tennis TV and shout out to the WTA YouTube channel, who, by the way, have had highlights of just about every match since the round of 16 started. I mean, this was extraordinary tennis, and I've said it all week, so I'll try not to reiterate it here because I'm very grateful that so many of you listeners do choose to listen day in, day out. But the Kokonakis serve, the Kokonakis forehand, when he has time to set his feet, his ability to drive through his backhand, the backhand gets shakier when he has to play defensively off that wing. But the weapons are top 50. They are legitimately that good. And physically... RBA was able to absorb a lot of first strikes. He was able to get into his pattern. There's nothing RBA likes more than having his feet set on the ad side of the court and hitting forehands inside out, inside out, inside out. Oh, you think I'm going to go inside in now? Nope, I'm going to stay attacking inside out to the ad side of the court. And then when you finally think you've caught him, that's when he goes inside in. Or you pull the trigger down the line too soon and he hits one of his electric on-the-run forehands. The depth he's able to generate on his backhand just kept consistent pressure on Kokonakis. But again, Tenassi played well enough to win. He had 12 breakpoint chances. RBA had one. He just wasn't able to come up with the big return in the big moment. And credit to RBA who kept pressure on Kokonakis by, you know, obviously having success on his own serve and being aggressive with his own first forehand, finishing well at the net, getting the early break when the crowd was just so vigorously behind Kokonakis. It was an extraordinary match. Again, why do I feel bad? Why did I go on my opening bias rant? Because... How could you not feel compelled to root for Tenassi Kokonakis when obviously this is a guy who's dealt with so many different injuries, has missed more than a year of his career off the, being forced off the court due to injuries, probably more than two years if we're being honest, and he's only, what, 26 years old? You know, he's missed at least two seasons due to injuries. He's playing in front of a home crowd. He's the defending Adelaide champ. He fell outside the top 100. He's sitting at like 158 in the live rankings. Every win he gets is that much more important to him as he wants to continue to compete at the highest level of the sport. Not that he's afraid to go play the challenger level because he had to do that to build back his ranking following all the injuries. But 
to see how compelled the crowd was to root for him, to see the way he engages the crowd and creates this permission structure for them to get rowdy. It's just what tennis can be at its highest aspiration. And Kokonakis elicits that from the fans, I think from people watching at home as well. And the level he brought was extraordinary. But again, in the end, RBA just a little too good. RBA 7-6-3-6-6-3 victory over Kokonakis. That was really, really fun. It was a great match, and exactly the sort of match RBA needs to play again. Two and a half hours. How much? How many legs? How much legs did Kokonakis have left? It was his fourth straight three-set match. You know who needs a couple days off before the Australian Open starts? Tanasi freaking Kokonakis, who I think is a minus five hundred favorite in his first match. I just I'm blanking right now who he's facing, but like great warm-up event for Kokonakis, who again is outside the top 150 right now. He's sitting at 159, excuse me, in the live rankings, but is playing like a top 50 player and displayed that all week long in Adelaide. For RBA to beat him, RBA into another final. You look for Roberto Bautista Agut in terms of how many total finals he has now made in his career. First of all, RBA quietly four finals last year, racked up another two titles, but you look for RBA now in terms of total finals he has made in his career at the ATP level. RBA into his 24th final of his career. He's made a final in every season but 2019 since the start of 2014. And he made a final at the end of 2012 as well, or in 2013 as well. So excuse me, since the start of 2013, he's made a final in every season but 2019 so that's, what, 10 of the past 11 years now with his final here in Adelaide? That's extraordinary. And I often get in an argument with my dear friend and noted uh, pro provocateur Ben Rothenberg about what is the Hall of Fame because is it the Hall of Really Good, as he likes to accuse me of sometimes having it be, or is it the Hall of Fame? And I think he makes a good point. I don't think Roberto Bautista Agu has had a Hall of Fame career. You look for RBA, career high is number nine. It's not number four. It's not number three. It's number nine. And, you know, he's never made a Grand Slam final. You look for him in terms of semifinals in his career. He's made a Wimbledon semifinal, what, in 2019? I think that's the only Slam semifinal he's made in his career. It's not a Hall of Fame career. But if you ask any junior in the world— hey, you can have RBA's career. You can be a perennial top 32 guy for the better part of a decade. Doesn't everyone say, yes, I'll take it? And like, again, that's not Hall of Fame. That's Hall of Very Good. But I just feel like there should be a way to acknowledge the very good of like, hey, you know who you should aspire to be? Like, have the career of RBA because you're making enough money. You're playing all the big events. You're having a good amount of success. He's won 12 titles. He's made 24 finals in his career. He's made one final in all but one season in each of the last uh, 11 years. That's extraordinary. Or it's very good. It's not extraordinary because Hall of Fame is extraordinary. But that's very, very good. And again, I think you contextualize Roberto Bautista Gu, who might quietly... Again, the best of Dimitrov, the best of Rayanich, the best, obviously, of Nishikori... The best of Gofen, maybe even the best of Carreño Busta, is all better than the best of RBA. But who's been the most consistent of that lost generation over the course of the past decade? If half the battle is showing up, RBA has consistently shown up. And part of that is obviously injury luck. 
but he's just been in the mix for a while now. He is the definition of what you aspire to be as a veteran, in my opinion. And so, as such, again, I will always have significant amounts of respect for what Roberto Bautista Agu has accomplished. RBA into the finals, three sets over Sun, uh, excuse me, over Tenasi Kokonakis. It now sets up a matchup with Sun Wukwan, the 25-year-old, into a final at the ATP Tour level uh, for just the second time in his career. Won the title at Nur Sultan back in September of 2021. Quad was excellent in his 7-6-6-7-6-3 win over Jack Draper. I don't know how else to put it. Like, look, the 25-year-old's always been rock solid. You feel like if Sun Wukwan was six foot three and not, what, 5'8", five, 5'9", five, like he is, and I might be generous with that height assessment, he would probably be a top 15 guy in the world. Like, he is that rock solid on the forehand, on the backhand side, excuse me. But the revelation, whether it was against Immer, Carreno Busta, certainly in this Draper match, guy is slapping the forehand right now. Just, and especially against the lefty Draper, his ability to take that ball on the rise, absorb the Draper topspin, and then just slap it with pace. It's exceptional to watch because of how just much body, how much torque he gets into the ball. But, I mean, again, he wins 81% of his first serve points against Draper, fights off 9 of 10 break points that he faced. Now, you look for Jack Draper. You know, Draper only faced 5 break points. Now, he was 2 of 5 in saving those break points. He also won 81% of his first serves. Neither guy over the 60% mark in first serve percentage. It was sloppy in that sense, but... Quan just beat him in the baseline rallies, which was what was most exceptional to see because you would think Draper's forehand when he has time and the depth he's able to consistently generate on his backhand in a baseline rally, you'd think those are the two biggest weapons. They were not. Quan matched him in terms of generating depth on the backhand, and then the Quan forehand was the biggest weapon. It was the most easy to replicate, and again, he was slapping it. And so you look for Sun Wukwan, again, into his second career final, back up to number 66 in the live rankings, 14 off his career high as the 25-year-old, but you're 66, you're getting into at least qualifying of every event you want to play, Masters or otherwise, and obviously anything below a Masters, you're getting in on your own ranking, just sets Quan up extraordinarily well after what was, you know, a somewhat difficult uh, 2022 season for Sun Wukwan, who is still 30-30 and 30 overall over the course of his last 52 weeks. You look for him tour level 22 and 23, but what, five of those wins, excuse me, uh, eight of those wins have come in two events between Tokyo and Adelaide here. So, you know, 14 and 23, uh, 14 and 22 outside of his last three, uh, 14 and 21 outside of his last three events, but very, very good over his last three and thus in a perfect position to strike and capitalize in this early indoor hardcore portion of the season, which you feel like will benefit him given how clean his contact point is. That said, Draper played well. I just thought Quan was better. Like I, I again the Draper forehand sometimes gets a little gets a little shaky when put against elite pace. I think Quan was gonna be able to generate that pace at the elite level that he did, but credit to him, he was that said you look for Jack Draper, no concerns, as Draper has a ton of challenger points to defend early in the season and an ATP semifinal certainly helps make things easier. Draper up to new career high of number thirty eight, which is just where the twenty one year old wants to be entering this season. So no concerns about Jack Draper. You look at this Quan RBA matchup. 
RBA is 66.5% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. They've never played in their career. I mean, RBA is locked in physically. And as well as Kwan's hitting the ball, he doesn't have the serve to start the point as advantageously as Kokonakis did. And RBA won all the neutral rallies because that's what RBA does. Again, RBA is a more polished version of Jack Draper on the baseline, even that much more aggressive, probably that much more consistent, although Draper's pretty darn consistent. I lean RBA, but Quant's had a fantastic week, and again, he's done it consecutive matches now. Emer, he dominated. Draper, PCB, he grinds out. This is going to be a really, really fun match. Oh, by the way, and round number one, he beats Thomas Mychek, who beat him in the final round of qualifying. So sometimes you're that lucky loser, and it, and again, you are playing with nothing to lose. And that's what it's felt like for Sun Wukwon this week from lucky loser into his second career final. I lean RBA, but I think that's going to be a very physical match, if nothing else. That said, let's move over now to the WTA side of things in Hobart. And, you know, again, Sonia Kennan loses in the semifinals, 7-5-4-6-6-1 to Elizabeth to Coach Chiretto, just to put the final bow on the Kennan topic because I've talked about her a lot this week. She played well. She had a 15-40 multiple breakpoint opportunity. I think it was 3-all or 2-all. Maybe it was even 3-2 in the first set. Coach Chiretto comes up with a couple big serves and big first ground strokes to eliminate that deficit. Kennan then broken four five six uh, at five six excuse me had a good look at a backhand uh, at a forehand just missed it in the net uh, on the thirty forty point, but then she bounced back and takes the second set six four and finds her range and gets Coach you know is more aggressive with her first strike because Coach Iretto at neutral Coach Iretto just has real weapons from the baseline and I'll get to her in a second. Then Kennan went away a little bit. In the third set, falling 6-1, and you wonder for Kennan, who obviously played a pretty tough match uh, the round prior. Kennan, the three-set win over Kalanina, that was certainly a physical two hours of play. You know, having to play those back-to-back, Australian Open right around the corner. When Kennan went down an early break, you could tell. I mean, she kept swinging, but it just felt like the movement sort of went away. That was a little concerning, but... I thought the first two sets were still top 50 tennis from Sonia Kennan, and I do think getting a couple of wins under her belt this week, making her first semifinal since the 2020 French Open, playing golf really well, and then getting the three-set come-from-behind win against Kalanina, those are exactly the sorts of things she needs here early in the year. And so, again, yes, she lost this match in three. Yes, she went away a little bit in the third. Yes, Azarenka first-round Australia is a brutal matchup. I'm glass half full on Sonia Kennan entering this 2023 season. That said, I am certainly glass half full on Elisabetta Cochiretto. You look for Cochiretto now, who, with her victory uh, up to number, I believe, uh, 48. Yes, 48 now is Cochiretto in the live rankings. And obviously, your top 50, you're probably getting into every event that you want to play. And, you know, for someone who is about to turn 22 years old. That's exactly where you want to be. And now she's in her first WTA Tour final for the first time in her career. You could see how much that meant to her. She falls on her knees after this match. And, I mean, you look for Coach Iretto, who last year went 44-23, and 23, had a bunch of success, 25Ks, 60Ks, 80Ks, 125Ks. She worked her way up the ladder. And, look, her weapons are undeniable. 
When you give her time to snap through a ball, forehand wing, backhand wing, she can do it cross-court. She can beat you to the spot down the line. She's got a very quick first step and is comfortable taking that ball early on the rise, flattening it out, and just, again, beating you to the spot with her drive, with her pace, with her quickness. There's oomph on the serve as well, and you look for Coach Iretto, uh Actually, it's interesting. She's had seasons where she, an ITF season where she held 75% of the time, but you're never sh- certain how good those numbers are. But the weapons are real from the baseline. And yes, when you can get her on her back foot, when she has to play the slice, when she has to play defensively, that's when the errors come. And certainly players in the top 50 are known for the weapons that they have. I'm going to be fascinated to see how her weaponry holds up against Rabakina in the first round of the Australian Open. But uh, her, her weaponry holds up against weaponry, excuse me. But again, when she was able to land the first serve, when Kennan was forced to be on the stretch, play the slice, Coach Iretto capitalized on every opportunity. And she's played that decisive all week long. She's into her first career final, deservedly so, into the top 50, deservedly so. I think she's going to stick around there for a while. That was a very, very impressive result for the soon-to-be 22-year-old Elisabetta Cochiretto. And, you know, now she's going to take on Lauren Davis. And you look for Lauren Davis, who's into her first tour-level final since Auckland back in January of 2017. So six years since her last final. Of course, she happened to win the title in Auckland on that day. Perhaps that is a confident foreshadowing for her. But... Look, Lauren Davis was stellar. 3-3 three and three against Blinkova. She went down 3-0, won 10 of the next 11 games, was feeling the backhand down the line, cross-court, with pace, taking it early, playing it defensively, on the run. Just It was interesting because Blinkova got more defensive than she was clearly against Putenceva, clearly against Bozhkova. She just got a little hesitant because I think with Lauren Davis— You assume with her size that she doesn't hit that big of a rally ball. Lauren Davis gets after the ball. I, again, that was one of my biggest revelations watching her in person in Cleveland last summer was how big the rally ball she hits truly is. And you could see that pace, that depth now that I know to look for it in how she absorbed and redirected everything Blinkova threw at her. Again, Davis was dominant. Three and three over Wang Xinyu, three and three over Blinkova. She has played stellar tennis, and she's 0-1 in her career against Coach Iretto. 53.1% according to Tennis Abstract makes Coach Iretto the favorite. You look for Davis right now, who, by the way, with this run to the final, back up to number 67 in the live rankings. That's right where you want to be as a 29-year-old veteran. I'll pick Coach Iretto just because I think her weapons are ultimately bigger, and I do wonder if the action on her serve might give Davis more troubles than Blankova's did, but three-set match. Like, I think that's going to be an absolute battle. I think it's a barn burner. Grab your popcorn, folks. That one is going to be a journey. Um, Of course, again, two other matches I want to talk about, or one other match, and I suppose two other finals I want to talk about here before we wrap today's show. Auckland, let's talk Nori versus Brooksby. I mean, Cam Nori is just a physical monster. And you look for Nori, who, by the way, is now into his 12th final. He's made 11 finals since the start of the 2021 season. I would venture in the, what, 25 months or 24 and a half months we've played since the start of 2021, that that 11 finals has to be a top 10. if No worse than a top 15 number, maybe even top 10. And by the way, that makes sense is that's where Nori's hung out in the rankings over the course of the past two plus years. But 
I mean, you look for Nori, he was just one shot better than Brooksby in every rally that they played. And, you know, ultimately, Nori, a three and four win. He gets an early break in set number one, holds on to it, gets broken to start set number two, immediately gets the break back for one, two, and again, is able to pretty quickly from there go on a run, get another break, and hold serve the rest of the way. I'll continue to say it. I think there's a little more oomph on Nori's ground strokes, a little more oomph on the forehand, a little more depth on the backhand. He continues to be more confident moving forward, hits his spots frequently on the serve. He won 87% against a very good returner in Jensen Brooksby. And look, last year, Nori was not a top 25 club guy. He was a top 20 returner, uh, but he was just outside hold percentage-wise. I think he finished 29th on the year, and he's one of like 13, 14 guys who would have been a member of the top 30 club. So he was on the precipice of being an elite serve, plus one guy, plus with how many balls he makes on the return, just how he always forces you to hit the extra shot. And I think he's gotten better with the serve. But more importantly, I think he's gotten more aggressive with his first strike, more confident going after his forehand. His ability to redirect that ball down the line has looked really good this week in Auckland, albeit against relative to where he's been inferior competition in Brooksby, Giron, Lechechka. But look, he starts his season with wins over Fritz, over Nadal, over Demonauer and United Cup, now wins over lesser-ranked guys in Lechechka, Giron, Brooksby, and Gasquet. I mean, what? He started, uh, excuse me, and uh, and and Brooksby, not Gasquet, who he plays in the final. But he started his season six and zero. That's what you ask for out of the out of the first six weeks. Six good matches, some significant tests. Other having to dig yourself out of some adversity. Other you play your best tennis, like he did against uh, uh, he did against Brooksby today. I think Cam Norrie's extraordinarily dangerous entering the 2023 Australian Open. First round, he's got Luca Van Asche, but you look for Norrie, who's the 11 seed. I just think physically he's on that elite tier now where he's ready to go five-plus hours. He's ready to make 25, 30-plus balls per rally. And if you have an elite weapon, sure, you're going to win some free points against him more so than he wins against you. But boy, is he going to make you earn it. And I think Nori's going to cruise to his fifth title as he takes on Richard Gasquet. He's a 74.9% favorite. According to Tennis Abstract, Gasquet will certainly enjoy the day off after playing a three-set battle against David Goffin uh, in his quarterfinal match yesterday. First career head-to-head. For what it's worth, I think it's fascinating. Gasquet playing in his 33rd career final, first since July 2021. He's looking for his first title since June 2018, so it's been four and a half years. Gasquet's 36 years old, turns 37 in June, still making ATP finals, still a top 65 guy. Gasquet with this result actually back into the top 50, number 49 of the live rankings. Is he the oldest guy in the top 50 right now? Let's see, how old is Isner? No, Isner's 37, right? Yeah, Isner, who is in the top 50, he's a little older. Gasquet also, I think, a month younger than Rafa, or a little younger than Rafa, but third oldest guy in the top 50. You hate when they're saying that about you, but it's not the worst thing for people to say. And so, again, I would lean Nori to win the title, but that's credit to both those guys. Gasquet, certainly with his shot making, you feel like is going to make it fun. That said, final final, shout out to... 
funny things to say out loud happening in Adelaide. Again, no semifinal play to recap there, but you've got Belinda Bencic taking on uh, Daria Kasatkina. Bencic, th- uh, two and three in her career, I should say. Kasatkina, three and two, beat her at Roland Garros uh, back in 2021, which is the last time they played. All five matches have been pretty definitive straight sets, the closest of them, a four and four Bencic win in Adelaide back in January 2020. Bencic has the bigger weapons. She's a top five. You know, she's, what, fifth in hold percentage. Kasakina number two in break percentage. The immovable object meets, meets the unstoppable force. It's going to be fun. It's a really good contrast of styles. Both of them got a day of rest without having to play yesterday. Uh, you look at the tennis abstract forecast. Bencic a 59.9% favorite despite the two to three head-to-head record. You look for Belinda Bencic. She's playing in her 16th career tour final. Kasakina, a very respectable 12th career tour final. I like the matchup for Bencic. I just think she's swinging so freely. She's moving so well. She's putting more returns in play. And again, Kasakina's serve, I think, is a bigger advantage for Bencic. The fact that she'll have so many clean looks at returns as opposed to the other way around where Kasakina is good of a returner as she is. She'll have less clean looks given how good a server Bencic is. Eileen Bencic, I think it's a perfect test for each of them with pressure stakes heading into the Australian Open. I'm fascinated to see who comes out again. I would lean Bencic. Tennis Abstract leans Bencic, but I think it's going to be a very fun match. That said, that's your look at our four tour-level events as week two of this 2023 season comes to a close. Of course, we'll be back tomorrow to recap all the finals, and then we'll be here daily throughout the 2023 Australian Open. So much matches, so much matches, leave it in, because we have to. So many matches to discuss. you got to talk about it every day, and that's exactly what we plan on doing here at Cracked Rackets with our guests and so many friends of the show. With that said, uh, of course, a shout-out, as always, to our friends at Tennis Point for their support. Remember, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that in mind, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.